Because no two investors are the same, one size doesn't fit all. There's more to it. At S&P Dow Jones Indices, we offer index strategies for all types of investments. Comprehensive ESG solutions, core retirement strategies, multi-asset diversification, and new ways of thinking about risk management and income. They're all in one place. Express your investment views and give yourself the freedom to go anywhere with S&P Dow Jones Indices. Search Indexology on the web or hashtag Indexology on Twitter and LinkedIn. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people want to make friends. I'm just trying to make you some money. My job not just to entertain you, but to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CNBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. If you think this was a boring session where nothing much happened, think again. Something big happened today. The right stocks finally rallied. Even if it didn't really reverberate that much through the averages in a totally blissful way, the Dow ultimately gaining 94 points, S&P advancing 0.45%, NASDAQ climbing 0.42%. For the first time in weeks, though, this market had good breath, meaning lots of different leaders in lots of different sectors. The breath plus the flexibility that President Trump offered our allies to get out from under the steel and aluminum tariffs that he announced today allowed the Dow to rally 200 points from its lows. A strong showing, given how Wall Street was initially rocked by the tariff news. Collaboration with our allies, carve-outs for Canada and Mexico, these are what we've been calling for on Mad Money, and it's exactly what we got, allowing for a broad-based move with some new key leadership. What do I mean when I say the right stocks rallied? Rather than just telling you this group or that group, like some sort of sector ETF fella, let me explain what happened here and show you why it was exactly what the bulls were hoping for. House of pleasure. First, we've been desperate for mergers. Desperate. We've had this one drawn-out battle between Qualcomm and Broadcom. It said Broadcom's $110 billion attempt to take over the biggest cell phone intellectual property company on Earth largest tech deal ever if it gets done. But that's pretty much it. It's become a seemingly endless claymation death match that just drags on and on. <gasps> Today, though, we got another huge deal, a massive $67 billion transaction. Cigna, the big health insurer, is buying Express Scripts, the pharmacy benefit manager, and it did ignite the whole healthcare sector. Cigna's own stock, it just got obliterated. And not just the way you'd normally expect when the arbitrage guys start betting against an acquirer that's paying in cash and stock. No, it finished the day down more than 11%. Quite shocking, actually, as the sellers thought the company either paid too much or Express Scripts simply won't make them enough money. Though this is something Cigna vociferously disagreed with when they came on Squawk on the Street this morning. I thought they made a compelling argument. I think it's positive. I think Cigna stock, as of today, you got it. More important, the deal is good for the entire stock market because the analysts who covered this business had a very low opinion of Express Scripts. It had just lost one of its key clients, Anthem, which represented about 30% of its sales. Yet Cigna was one of the best, smartest players in the entire industry, uh, and they still decided to buy Express Scripts. They still decided it was still worth a great deal more money than it was trading for. In other words, Wall Street may think that the stock of Express Scripts was overvalued coming into today's session, but Cigna believed it was undervalued. And you know what? 
I'll take Cigna's judgment over Wall Street's any day of the week. And this kind of thing reverberates. When you get a bona fide takeover from a real company, it makes you feel like the market has legitimate underpinnings. Like these valuations aren't totally crazy. And some businesses are indeed worth more than their stocks are selling for. And that's positive. Regardless of Gary Cohn's exit from the White House or the impact of these tariffs, or even if the yield on the 10-year Treasury spikes to 3%, and that is something that can conceivably happen tomorrow if we get a red-hot Labor Department employment number, and I am not ruling it out. The second very bullish development today, the drug stocks rallied for once. Oh, boy. Oh, boy. This group has been horrendous. The house of pain. And that's bad for the overall market as farm is a huge industry that's a source of comfort for many investors. Even better, the surge was led by Johnson & Johnson, which has been a surprising laggard. Surprising because it's one of the best there is. J&J CEO Alex Corsi has done a terrific job running this company. It's got a great balance sheet. Best of all companies. Yeah, all of them. The whole S&P 500. And it's firing on all cylinders. Frankly, it's unnerving to me that the stock sells for only 15 times next year's earnings estimates, despite its 2.5% yield, its big overseas exposure that benefits from a weaker dollar, and its fantastic pipeline of new drugs. What the heck does the market want from a company? If the stock of the best of J&J is cheap, and it is even after its $3 gain today, then something is indeed wrong with this market. It should be expensive. So its rally today was a sign that maybe there's some rationality returning to the market. More important, J&J's leadership ignited the whole pharma cohort, making bulls feel like we have another industry out there besides tech. Remember, for a while now, the consensus was that we'd lost pharma, that it was out of favor for good, maybe because the drug business tends to suffer in times of inflation. The value at these companies is all about their future drug sales. So when inflation erodes the purchasing power of those future dollars, the group becomes less attractive to investors. It, that is supply. That is what you, I was taught when I was at Goldman. It's one of the first things I was taught. And it's true. Yes, that means the drug stocks could get slammed. Again, if we get that overheated number tomorrow that I am concerned about, uh, but this rally is all the more remarkable as buyers will actually take that kind of risk ahead of what could be a real bad day for the group. Of course, if wage inflation turns out to be tame, well, you know what? I mean, I will tell you. All aboard! You know what else made me feel sanguine today? The best of the consumer packaged goods stocks finally managed to catch bids. Holy cow, that hasn't happened in a long time. But it was terrific to see PepsiCo shareholders finally get rewarded for that amazing quarter with a gain north of two bucks. That's like the most sustained rally we've had. Now, in any other market, these last two items, the strength of farm and the consumer packaged goods place, would be bad side. They would be bad. These are defensive groups that go higher when the economy slows down. But that doesn't worry me here. Why? Because at the same time, the industrials bounce back nicely. And that's a very good sign. Wall Street have been fretting about the industrials ever since we learned about President Trump's new tariffs, 10% on imported aluminum, 25% on imported steel. Not only are the industrials big consumers of these metals, they're also natural targets for retaliation. If our trading partners decide to strike back. But when you see excellent in industrials like Parker Hannifin, Caterpillar, Illinois Tourworks running like they did today, it suggests that this formerly beloved sector could be returning to its old leadership mode. I also like the move in the casinos, particularly MGM and Wynn, because it's all about the fundamentals and the fundamentals in Macau. Yes, the Chinese gambling haven. It was incredibly strong year over year for the Chinese New Year. And Macau, not Las Vegas, is the most important city in the world for the casino stocks. Plus, you know what? I wouldn't say this if the fundamentals weren't good. 
I think Wynn might be acquired by another casino company now that Steve Wynn has stepped down from his operating role in the wake of those admittedly disturbing sexual misconduct allegations. Wynn Resorts is a phenomenal company. It's worth a great deal. But because of Mr. Wynn's behavior, stock is more than 20 points off its highs. I think it's a natural takeover target for, say, Las Vegas Sands or even MGM. It doesn't rally 10 bucks in one session idly for nothing. We even got a rally. Oh, my God. I mean, talk about broad base. Airline stocks. The airline, something that hasn't happened for ages. What ignited it? Not the bad weather that's causing flights to be canceled left and right. No, it was all about Southwest Air, symbol love, LUV, which showed traffic for February up 3.5%, while capacity only increased by 1%. We've been worried that the airlines would add too many new planes and end up getting to another ruinous price war like we're used to from this industry. That's historically what's happened. So anytime we see the potential for a boost in revenues without lots of new planes coming on, well, I got to tell you, that's nirvana. The strength here helped give the transports a needed boost, which is heartening, especially at a time when housing and the automakers, more on those later, are behaving particularly poorly. I'm partial to Southwest Air, but the whole airline group has gotten very cheap. Even Warren Buffett endorsed the group not that long ago, mentioned kind of, you know, somewhat jokingly that maybe he'd buy a buy one. Hey, listen, he bought a railroad. Of course, not everything's held up. After spectacular morning, many of the tech stocks pretty much rolled over with a couple of cloud-based exceptions, as well as Amazon and Alphabet and Apple, the three A's. Who would have thunk it? And that was uh, latter was simply uh, bouncing back from yesterday's decline. But tech's been red hot lately. You know what? It deserved a break, and you wanted to take a break because you cannot have what's known as a parabolic move in any one group. Here's the bottom line. This market's breadth has been so bad lately that it's needed Listerine and scope by the barrel. Today, though, today we got some new winners, which were sorely needed. We, got a not, we get a not-so-hot employment number tomorrow. I mean, you know, not too hot. We put the tariff talk behind us, rearview mirror, and we can mount a real rally that so few expect and so many so many would find it, let's just say, something to cheer about. Well, I want to go to Michael in Arizona. Michael! Hey, Jim. I bought uh, Weight Watchers at 61, and uh, Oprah started selling it, and it dropped at 58, and now it's back up. What do you think about that? What should I do? Um, I'm not a fan. I think the stock has moved too much. Uh, 42% gain for that stock. I say ka-ching, ka-ching, even if you don't have a profit. I don't want anybody to get hurt. I need to go to Patrick in Massachusetts. Patrick. Patrick in Massachusetts. Patrick. Oh, yeah, from Boston, Jim. Thanks for your time. All right. I like what Tom Brady did today uh, to help cure cancer. That was fantastic. And uh, he's a good guy. We got some great guys on the path. They're always looking out for Massachusetts. They sure are. What's great. up? I have uh, KFS in my portfolio. They had a strong fourth quarter, and they're continuing to integrate with the Death Star. But lately, the stock's been acting kind of funny, and I wonder what you think about it, given the trade concerns. You know, I think it's a great question. Here's what happened. The stock zoomed. It's now marking time, taking some profits. It still yields 4%. What that says to me is... Coles is right here. Okay, Thank the market gods today. We got new winners, the right winners, and it was sorely needed. Oh man, tonight I'm sitting down with the CEO of Ford to find out how the market of the maker of the Airstream could be impacted by Trump's tariffs and why the stock reversed today. Then auto companies on both sides of the Atlantic are pushing back on Trump's trade talk. What does it mean for stocks in the operating space? Are they cheap? 
I'm investigating. And earlier this year, it seemed the White House was set on improving our infrastructure. But with priorities shifting, how could an impact plays in the space? I'm sitting down with the CEO of Martin Mariana, the big one, to find out. So stick with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at cnbc.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. Okay, what the heck is going on with the stock of Ford Industries, the world's number one maker of recreational vehicles and motorhomes? Two months ago, the stock was flying high in the 150s, up nearly threefold from where it had been trading at the beginning of 2016. Since then, thanks to the big market-wide sell-off, Ford's been slammed down to $120 as of today. But that's standard. Winners tend to get hit hard when people panic. But what does have me concerned here a little bit more than usual is that last night, Thor reported yet a Another fabulous quarter. It's 11 cent earnings beat off of a dollar in one basis. Higher than expected sales up 24% year over year. And what happens? Despite drawing tons of praise from the analyst community, stock actually went down today, falling 1.65% after being up gigantically. Now, you can say this is just profit taking, but when you deliver a good quarter and your stock goes down, we got to check it out. You have to wonder whether something else is going on. Why is it behaving like this? So to clear things up, let's check in with Bob Martin. He's the president of Thor Industries. Hear more about the quarter and where his company's headed. Mr. Martin, welcome back to Mad Money. Good to see you, sir. Have a seat. Thank you. Great to see you in person, Bob. Thank you. Great to be here. All right. Now, people have to understand that you do a warts and all Q&A of yourself, basically. Yes. And in it, what you did was you talked about an outlook, and the first thing you said was tight labor market in northern Indiana, some inflationary price increases, raw materials, tougher year-over-year compares in the second half of the fiscal 2018. You kind of killed your stock. You know that. With your own comments. Um, a fair trade-off between, like, 50 pages of good? <laughs> With that, the second half of the year is typically our, our tougher half. And if you remember right. last year when I was on, it's the same quarter. Right. It's, we don't run quarter to quarter. We run the company for the year, for the long term. And so with some of that commentary, uh, it is real that it's just going to be a little bit tougher. Uh, okay. So we, we want to be honest with everybody and get that out there. Are you hurt by what the president did today with tariffs? You know, for us, we've tried to analyze what it is. Right. Uh, we don't buy much uh, raw steel uh, or some raw aluminum, but mm-hmm. most of it comes domestically. Right. Um, so uh, it will be minimal for us. And I just watched it in your green room, uh, the, the changes that they made. So right. it looks like they're a little bit softer. So we see a minimal effect. Well, I, I've got a theory, okay? I've been doing work on where's the tightest labor markets in the country. It's Indiana. Mm-hmm. And northern Indiana. And that's right. where you assemble. Yes. Was that just luck of the draw? It's, it's where the RV industry was born. Uh, it was born from uh, manufactured housing, recreational vehicle companies, and all of our vendors, most, are structured right there in northern Indiana. So we get a great uh, freight rate and we get just in time delivery. So for us, we open a plant that makes sense to be close to there. We have right. started spreading out into uh, other areas of the county and into LaGrange County. And we are also expanding in Idaho. And also we announced a major expansion for the iconic Airstream in Jackson Center, Ohio, 
where uh, labor is, is definitely nowhere near uh, what we have in Indiana. Okay, good. I'm glad you said that because I hate to think that you're just totally hostage. You're clearly not. Let's talk about the good stuff. Let's talk about Gen X and millennials. Yep. Uh, very few people have figured them out. Uh, you have bought and bought really great properties that clearly they appeal to, and that group is gigantic, right? It is. We, we see Gen X, Gen Y, millennials. Millennials are bigger than boomers. So for us as a company, we're starting to talk to them. And I, I think you, you look at the RV industry, the Go RVing campaign, our own internal uh, advertising campaign, right. we're gearing it to that younger buyer, and it really resonates in what we're building. Small travel trailers, right. small motorhomes that are very affordable for younger folks. And so, you know, RVing is all about the experience. Well, I'm glad you mentioned it because I think people are tired of thinking, okay, Harley slowed down because they've got that kind of millennial, uh, I mean, non-millennial, okay, non-millennial. Right. They got baby boom. And so therefore Thor must be. But the makeup of what, who's buying is the exact opposite. Yeah, you know, we're getting younger people. We're getting younger families. Right. And I think for us, it's because we appeal not just to dad or mom and dad, but we appeal to the entire family and they can go out and enjoy their RV. It can be 10 miles away, it can be a thousand miles away. Right. They can use it five, six times a year. It's still a very affordable way to go camp and to, to have a vacation. And it can be different every weekend. And you know, you've, you've said it, it's all about uh, Instagrammable experience. Well, uh, I think that's because my daughter's a, a camper and she's yeah. taught me this. Uh, what you do also, the higher level that you get these, that she says, you know, it's, a, it's kind of anecdotal, but the nicer these campgrounds are. They are. Even better, right? Yes, yes. And there, there, there is a nice movement of campground, uh, private campgrounds that are upgrading campgrounds. Uh, you know, not just Wi-Fi, but adding, uh, you know, amphitheaters, just really trying to cater to that younger crowd. Uh, so I, I've, I'm part of a group, RBAC, that I've been part of their business forum. I learn more about that. So I'm excited to know that they are upgrading because the younger buyer, they want things just a little bit differently. Uh, they, they want it to be, uh, you know, easy. Well, but, you know, look, if you hadn't put in those lines, uh, I think the stock was up very big until people saw what you had to say because you are self-effacing and you're honest, but the good guys win. Thor's a good stock. That's Bob Martin, Thor Industries president and CEO. Look, we've had this thing going all the way, and we're not getting off this one. Mad Money's back after the break. As much as I like this economy, as much as I believe it can't be derailed by the president's new trade policy, the truth is that some very important industries are in really rough shape. Consider the automakers. These stocks have been stinking up the joint and for good reason. Last Thursday, we got some hideous February sales figures from Ford, GM, and Fiat Chrysler, all of which experienced year-over-year declines last month, including nearly 7% for Ford and GM. If that wasn't enough, a few hours later, President Trump announced that 25% tariff on steel and a 10% tariff on aluminum that he put into place today. And while I generally think this is not a big deal, well, the automakers are some of the biggest consumers of these metals, and it does hurt their bottom line. So sales are declining, and now costs are going up. i got to tell you, that is not a great formula for success. No wonder the stock got obliterated in response. Since then, they have become total dogs. Only Fiat Chrysler has bounced back, and the strength there is merely because of a report that is planning to unlock value by spinning off an auto parts business. But the stocks of Ford and GM and even Tesla are still down in the dumps, at least compared to where they were a week ago. And you know what? 
They deserve to be down in the dumps. This is just the latest leg of a much longer decline for the group. And I think the automakers are looking a lot less attractive than they did just six months ago. The reason? Well, you know what? Frankly, it's not any one. There's a bunch of them. First of all, we need to reckon with the peak auto thesis, especially since sales from the big three declined pretty substantially last month. Of course, this is something people have been worrying about fretting for a long time. But the peak auto thesis, well, it seems to be playing out in 2018. Now, this would have been the story, except that late last summer, we got two huge hurricanes, Harvey and Irma, that wrecked half a million vehicles and the insurance payments on those cars gave the industry a second win. Still, even with the boost from the storms, total auto sales in 2017 were down nearly 1.8% from the year before. So you could argue the peak has already arrived. Plus, when you look at the January and February sales numbers, it's clear that without the boost from these insurance payments, business is not so hot for the automakers. Fiat Chrysler sales saw a 13% decline in January, 1.4% decline in February. Ford was down 6.6 in Jan and 6.9 in Feb. And while GM saw an increase of 1% in January, it got hit with an ugly 6.9% decline last month. Ouch! This point was hammered home yesterday when the Federal Reserve's Beige Book, that's something they release once a month, it's an amalgamation of anecdotal info of economic conditions based on surveys from each of the 12 regional Fed branches. Well, it had bad news for the auto industry. Here's the second sentence from yesterday's latest edition. I'm going to quote, Consumer spending was mixed as non-auto retail sales increased in just over half the districts, while auto sales declined or were flat in every district. In short, domestic auto sales have indeed peaked. The question is, why? How come the automakers are struggling when the rest of the economy is in such great shape? Higher interest rates, sure, they're part of the problem. But they take a backseat to what I've discovered and I think is the main issue. What's the real problem? It's a big one. Ride sharing. We're experiencing a secular shift in the way we get transportation. Thanks to Uber, Lyft, and their smaller rivals, owning a vehicle has become far less essential for Americans, particularly for people who live in and around cities and don't need to drive every day. Obviously, if you can just have Uber pick you up and drop you off, why the heck would you shell out thousands of dollars for your own car, especially in places where you also have to pay for parking? And how about insurance? It's all bad news. No wonder so many millennials don't even bother learning how to drive. I mean, I got to tell you, the day that I was allowed to drive, man, I'm down there getting a license. Boy, that doesn't happen anymore. This is a permanent change in consumer behavior. And if anything, it's only going to get worse once autonomous driving technology starts getting rolled out en masse, as that makes ride-sharing even cheaper. Believe me when I say that mass market autonomous driving will be here much sooner than you think. I'm talking about only a few years from now. So as much as the major automakers try to partner with the ride-sharing services or to get their paws on autonomous driving technology and spend a fortune doing so, in the end, anything that makes people less likely to buy a car, it's just plain old bad news for the industry and it abounds. Now, there are still cyclical forces here, too. It's not just all secular, and they aren't helping. While interest rates are still pretty darn low in absolute terms, they've come up a lot relative to where they were. Less than two years ago, the yield in the 10-year Treasury was under 2%. Now it's at 2.86%, threatening to go to 3 That may not sound like much, but with both short-term and long-term rates rising, it's getting more difficult and more expensive for consumers to get financing when they buy a car. In fact, these are two separate issues. It's harder to get an auto loan, and it's more expensive. If you remember last year, Everyone was freaking out about subprime auto loans, how banks, uh, how, how banks were just giving anybody money willy-nilly. And it was going to turn into the next financial crisis. 
Well, the banks took those concerns seriously. Hey, they read the papers, too. And they raised their lending standards. According to Bloomberg, average credit scores on U.S. car loans rose to a six-year high during the fourth quarter of last year. So score one for responsible lending, I guess. But the flip side of this is that if you're a suboptimal buyer, I actually prefer that to saying subprime, it's much harder to buy a car. No wonder auto sales are down. The other issue that is that as interest rates rise, even if you're eligible for an auto loan, you might not be able to afford it. Car loan rates just hit their highest level, get this, in eight years, which is exactly what you'd expect when rates are on the rise. We're talking a little over 5% interest on average, but when you could get more than, say, like 3% a few years ago, it's a big deal, people. So let's put it all together. Ride sharing means that owning a car is no longer a necessity. It's more of a cost-benefit analysis. Is it cheaper to own or to use Uber? More stringent lending standards, higher rates shift the equation. They make owning a car even less attractive. To make matters worse, look, oil prices are on the rise again. For years, owning a car was pretty darn cheap because the price of the pump is so low. But with crude back in the $60, you know, gasoline isn't that cheap anymore. And if it weren't, if it weren't enough, now we've got the tariffs to worry about. The steel tariffs actually hurt the automakers. Each car will cost a few hundred dollars more. And at the margin, every dollar counts for these guys. Plus, the automakers are big exporters. And if we get into a real trade war, well, you've got to believe that the iconic American companies like Ford and GM, they're going to be targeted. After all, China is GM's second largest market. Bordering on the first. Let's throw in a new wrinkle. In a couple of car classes, we're about to be deluged by BMW and Mercedes. They built some huge new factories in Mexico that will soon start producing in large quantities. And that gives them a real cost advantage because of NAFTA. Remember, our automakers wanted to do the same, but President Trump had just been elected and was insistent that they not ship these jobs south of the border. It's simply that the German car companies didn't comply. Here's the bottom line. The stocks of automakers look incredibly cheaper. I mean, incredibly, but I'm saying they're a value trap because investors don't trust the earnings estimate. Not, not with the industry seeming to have peaked in so many negatives. Tariffs, higher oil prices, higher interest rates, making the group much harder to own. And look, it's only going to get worse, people. So if there's one thing your portfolio doesn't need right now, it's an automaker. Debbie in Ohio, Debbie. Hi, Jim. How are you? I am good, Debbie. How about you? Fine. Let's make some money. Okay. I like that. I like that concept. I'm calling regarding Progressive Insurance Company, ticker PGR. I like the stock. I'd like to know if you think I should buy or wait for a dip. I want to separate this from actual auto sales. I think that this Progressive is a very good company. I, you know what? I have liked these guys literally since I was a, a, a working at, in the sales and trading department at Goldman Sachs, recommending this stock. I'm not backing away. How about David in Florida? David! Hey, a big booyah to you from Fort Lauderdale. Oh, man, good thank to have you. Thank you for taking my call. Okay. All right. I got a question on CAR, C-A-R. Mm-hmm. Should I hang on to it? You or, know what? I got to uh, tell you, I, I have been very negative about this rental car industry, but I think that Avis has distinguished itself as a winner. That said, I still am not crazy about it, but you're in the right one. That says, that says something. All right, don't be fooled by how cheap they look. The auto stocks are just getting too hard to own. Put a break on buying these guys for now. But we're made money ahead. A few months ago, it seemed infrastructure was all the president could talk about. But so far, it's been all talk. No action. What could it mean for a company like Martin Marietta? I'm going to talk with the CEO. Then, 
One bourbon, one shot at the kind of bargain that doesn't happen that often. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of The Lightning Round. So stick with Kramer. Tomorrow, kick off the trading day with Squawk on the Street. Live from Post 9 at the NYSE. Everything. This story has everything. You might even want to tune in for the first time ever. It's not true. I watch. It all starts at 9 a.m. Eastern. just coming into the new year, everyone was all fired up about tax cuts, the possibility of a big infrastructure bill. It seemed like anything was possible, at least to many professional money managers. Although at the time, I told you not to get too fired up. Don't get your hopes up that much because, well, Congress is adamantly opposed to infrastructure spending. Sure enough, fast forward today and the infrastructure bill is kind of, let's say, uh, moribund. Uh, while the White House has turned its focus to tariffs, guns, video games, you name it. If you were thinking Gary Cohn would shepherd an infrastructure package through Congress, think again. Needless to say, this has not been a great moment for stocks like Martin Marietta, MLM, the maker of aggregates, concrete, asphalt, and other basic materials. And, you know, look, we have liked Martin Marietta materials for ages, but I've got to tell you, this is the kind of thing where without the big infrastructure projects for the federal government, we've got to be worried. It's always been a mistake to view this company through the prism of Washington, though. The truth is, with or without an infrastructure bill, Martin Marietta's business is booming. The company just delivered a fantastic quarter a few weeks ago. Very bullish guidance of 2018. Yet the stock's down more than five bucks from where it was before the company reported. I think you may, uh, let's just say, be getting a bargain here. So let's dig deeper with Ward Nye, the CEO of Martin Marietta Materials, get a better sense of where his company's headed. Mr. Nye, welcome back to Man Money. Great to be here, Jim. Thank you. Okay, we gotta go. We gotta go over this, Mr. Nye, because I gotta tell you, we have an unbelievably good situation, as you outline, in a couple of elite eight states, and at the same time, the federal government is stalled. Is the are the states enough to be able to make it so you have a great year? You know, the states are going to be there this year. If you look back toward last year, Jim, we had a great year in private. We didn't have a great year, and by that I mean the industry didn't have a great year in public. I think we're going to see a lot more in public this year. State departments of transportation have been hiring. They've been using more outside resources to get projects ready and out the door. We're seeing volumes up this year, 4 to 6%. And for us, that's a pretty notable move. Now, uh, you highlight TxDOT, T-X-D-O-T. Uh, what is going on in Texas that is just incredibly strong? Well, number one, I'm, I'm in Houston today, and we've had some industry association meetings here for the last several days. And what we see across Texas, particularly in that Golden Triangle, Dallas down to Houston over to San Antonio, is an enormous amount of activity. As you've indicated, TxDOT, Texas DOT, has indicated they intend to spend over $70 billion over the next decade improving their highways, bridges, roads, and streets. And to us, that matters a lot. We're the largest producer of aggregates, cement, and ready-mix concrete in Texas, and we're clearly the largest in that big golden triangle. So we believe Texas DOT will be very healthy this year. We also think private work, meaning res and non-res, will be good throughout Texas. Now, we know that oil has come up a lot since the bottom. You highlight shale business as being strong. Shale business is getting much, much better. Several years ago, to give you a sense of it, Jim, we sold about 7.5 million tons to different shale plays across the United States, some of the biggest ones right here in Texas. 
last year more like 1.4 million. So they've been way down. But we did see them up nicely in the fourth quarter. We saw them up year over year. We believe a standard run for that for our business should be in the three and a half, four million tons a year. That's almost double where it was last year. We think with oil sitting where it is today, the shale activity will get much better in Texas and throughout much of the rest of the United States as well. All right. Now, you do point out, I'm just going to say it, you said government uncertainty, labor constraints, ensuing project delays have created a bit of a headwind here. Please go over all three. Well, we can talk first about unemployment. And look, that's the good news and the bad news, because when you go through different parts of the country, you see remarkably low levels of unemployment. Now, that's great because you do have people who are who have jobs, people who are moving to places like Texas and Colorado and North Carolina and Georgia and Florida, which are all key states for us. At the same time, contractors and on occasion, some people in the supply chain have had trouble getting workers. We believe that is easing in a number of these places. At the same time, we, you and I mentioned before, different DOTs have had some trouble putting work out. And we're seeing that problem begin to fade, we believe, as we come into the new year as well. TxDOT last year, for example, when they hit the beginning of this fiscal year, hired several hundred people to come to work for Texas DOT. We've seen the same types of activity in a host of other DOTs across the United States, particularly in the southwest and southeast, which are important geographies for Martin Marietta. All right, one last question. Bluegrass Materials, I see you do that financing deal. Sounds like it's going to be, what, maybe second half 2018, start to really help? You know what, we think we'll get that done in the first half of 2018, and it'll certainly help relative to the second half. We're excited about Bluegrass. It's a pure play. It was the largest pure play aggregates business that was privately owned in the United States. Importantly, in the geographies where we're picking up assets, Georgia, Maryland primarily, those are parts of geographies that are off 20%, not to peak, off 20% to midpoint relative to volumes. We like that business. We like where it is. We like when we're buying it, and we like where we're buying it, too. Your areas do seem to be a benefit. If there are tariffs put on dumping in steel, you are in the areas where there could be some tremendous building and restarting. Uh, any feel on that? Yeah, we do think that will likely help some of our business. There's a piece of our business that will help uh, most particularly, and that's in our magnesium specialties business. We sell a big portion of our material in that to actually the purification or fluxing agents in the manufacture of steel. And what we've long said is if you're looking at our mag specialties business, there are two things to watch. Number one, where is steel? Where is it producing relative to capacity? And if it's over 70 percent, that's going to be good for our business. And what's happening with respect to energy? And we think both of those will be good for our business this year. All right. Well, this stock is just uh, it's underperformed for the moment, but not, I think, for 2018. Thank you, Ward Nye. He's the CEO of Martin Marietta. Great to have you on the show, sir. Uh, you know Great what? To be the here. stock's gotten too cheap. What can I say? Man, money's back here to the break. Before we start the lighting round, I want to tell you that Mad Money is heading back west. All next week, we'll be coming to you from one market in San Francisco. Pack your bags, my friends. We are doing a major tech check and talking to some amazing CEOs. I'm kind of blown away about the, by this list, and you will be too. And now it is time. It is over the lightning. 
And then the lightning round is over. Are you ready? Ski, daddy, it's over the lightning round. Let's start with Bill and Zach Cohen. Bill. Hi, Jim. Uh, thanks for taking my call. Of course. Um, I'll call about KHC. I got a position there about four weeks ago. I thought it was at the bottom. I don't know, man. It's, in, it's like at six. It's at, at 52 week low. It yields 3.7. Yet I still can't buy a compelling reason to buy it. I like growth. Jerry in Missouri. Jerry. Hey, Jim. Thanks for taking my call. Oh, of course. Huawei has experienced a huge gain over the last year, and I own a large position. Yeah, but it's still down it. huge from where it was. Therefore, I know that my travel trust people know. The club knows this one killed me. But you know what? Down here, I'm going to say it's okay to buy Larry in California. Larry! Hey, thank you, Jim. I want to thank you for all your help these last couple Quite of years. Quite welcome. Anyway, I had a question about Dominion. I took a position in it that's a little lower now. I think I should dollar cost I want you to buy more. Remember, it's on the interest rate. Let's see what the 10-year treasury does tomorrow. Maybe picks them up, but it's a good long-term hold. Harry in Florida. Harry. Hey, Jim. Huge fan of the show. Thanks Thank for you. having me. Uh, so um, uh, just to give you a little context, I'm in my early 20s, giving the stock market a try for the okay. first time. And uh, I've been looking a lot at the athleisure trend, looking a lot at Lululemon. And, you know, uh, I, I think Lulu's fine. Obviously, I was stunned by the retirement the... Uh, departure of the previous CEO, but Glenn Murphy's good. I think you're going to be okay. Uh, I, 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 it's just that we're waiting to see who really is going to run the shop. It, that was stunning, frankly, and sad. Let's go to Prajesh in California. Prajesh. Hi. Hi, Jim. How are you? How are you, man? I'm very good. I have a question. I've invested in Stitch Fix because I think Stitch Fix can become the Netflix of the clothing industry. And 10 years down the line, Stitch Fix can cause closure of retail companies. Just like Netflix ended Blockbuster. Uh, do you agree with me? And what, uh, your, what you are your what? thoughts I on the long term? I've been wrong. Candidly, I've been wrong, but I am still not a believer. I'm sorry. Let's go to Paula in California. Paula. Yep, Jim. Jimbo. Yeah, yeah. Big, big huge. Ooh, yeah, yeah, yeah. First well, I like of all, that. Thank you so thank much. Thank you for all you've done for me and for my family since thank the inception you. of your show. Thank you. Long time now. What's going on? Well, my question, is, is this a lightning round? Yeah, sure it's a lightning oh, round. okay. No, I didn't know. I'm sorry. That's all right. Uh, the, I, my question is on Duke D. You I know, Duke, I'm on the fence on. They just did a gigantic equity offering. The group itself is not that strong. I'd rather have you be in Con Ed or Dominion. I need to go to Don in Massachusetts. Don. Hi, Jim. I just wanted to say that the advice you give that panicking not being an option is so true. I sold a stock on negative headline news without getting the details of the earnings report. No go. Overall, the report was fine. (laughs) I blew it. Nah, so don't be so hard on yourself. What's what's the stock? Okay, my stock is PBYI. Puma, too hard. Too hard. Very speculative. Be prepared to lose some money. I'm not a. I'm not. I may be a believer, but I'm not gonna. I, it's real speculation. Hannah in my home state of Jersey. Hannah. Hi. I wanted to know your opinion on STM. I like STM now. Candidly, I do like Intel more, and I like Nvidia more. But STM is a very inexpensive semi. How about Jim in Illinois? Jim. Professor Kramer. There you go. I didn't even know I was tenured. What's going on? Well, I when the uh, Home Depot was in the low 180s in early March, 
I went and loaded up on some April 190 calls. Oh, man, you put the gun to your head. Take the gun away from your head. That's way too hard. Now, just so we know, Home Depot is both an interest rate play and a sales play. The sales are good. People worry about interest rates. That's why the stock has not held up. Call me. Let's go to Tracy in New York. Tracy. Hi, Kramer. Thanks for taking my call. We watch you every night. Uh, really? Thank you, so Tracy. What do you, yeah, we do. <laughs> what do you think of Bank of America, and how do you think it will I like Bank of year? America. My channel of trust. I tell club members it's good. I've got a couple others, but I think Bank of America is fine. Nancy in New York. Nancy. Yeah, hi, Kramer. Hi, Nancy. I watch you almost every night. Thank and, you. Um, and... Um, I have a question for you about a REIT. It's called, it's, the symbol is EPR. I am torn about EPR. We've had them on a bunch of times, but candidly, they missed the quarter and they missed badly. And uh, there were real concerns about credit issues. Uh, I, it was bad. What can I say? Now, it yields 7.7, but it was, it was not what I wanted. Let's leave it that way. REIT in Texas, REIT. Remember the Alamo! I'm back, Mr. Kramer, with another winner. And to totally me, it's on. not as much an earnings story as it is a cash flow story. E-V-R-I. I don't know E-V-R-I. I don't know that one. I'm going to have to do some homework and come back in. And that, ladies and gentlemen, is the conclusion of the Lightning Round! The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Knowing the right thing to do and being able to do it are two different things. You may know intellectually that the best bargains are often found after a company reports a good quarter and the results get misinterpreted. But it's very hard to pounce on a stock that's getting clobbered right after it reports because the whole setup makes you question your own judgment. Take Brown Foreman, the liquor company you know as Jack Daniels, Woodford Reserve, Haradura, El Jimador, named clearly after me, right? And Finlandia, among many other brands. Brown Foreman stock got clubbed this week after the company announced what seemed like strong earnings. They delivered double-digit growth on nearly every single brand, with the exception of the giant flagship, Jack Daniels, which grew at a 5% clip. They gave you higher margins, growth in premium brands, where the real money is, and international expansion. What's not to like? Well, Brown Foreman quickly got hit with a surprising one-two punch that came out of nowhere. The first jab was self-inflicted. Despite all the double-digit gains, CFO Jay Moreau mentioned that, and I quote, growth in the U.S. was slower given the competitive marketplace. Whoa! End quote. That's suboptimal. Then we got the EU's response to Trump's new tariffs, where the Europeans said they might slap a tax on bourbon. Nice catch. As 95% of all bourbon hails from Kentucky, the home state of Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell. These guys sure know how to send a message. I like the setup, so I'm doing it again. So Brown Foreman stock gets slammed from 56 down to 52 in a heartbeat. And while it's now bounced back to 53, I think it's very intriguing here. Now, just a reminder, though, Jack Daniels is a Tennessee whiskey, technically if it's not even bourbon. First of all, you rarely get much of a chance to buy the stock at a discount. Brown Foreman has a great growth story. The company has worked its way up the pricing food chain with many different smaller brands that are blossoming into larger ones. It's terrific operators committed to returning capital to shareholders, including a dollar per share special dividend coming up next month. But it's the kiss of death to 
ever admit on a conference call that there's any kind of competitive threat to any part of your business. That said, you need to put these statements in context. As CEO Paul Varga later explained, this is something that happens because it is, quote, mathematically more difficult when there's that many alternatives in the marketplace, end quote. How about the potential damage from a trade war? Brown Foreman gets 25% of its business from Europe, and if the EU wants to send a message, a targeted message, without causing too much of a ripple through the economy, slap the entire on sale on a Jack Daniels. That'd be a smart play. So then why the heck would you buy the stock? What have I said that makes it sound like it's something good? Because we've been here before. Back in 2014, Russia played tough with bourbon after Russia's government, their consumer watchdog, found insect poison inside samples of Jack Daniels Tennessee honey. <laughs> yeah, sure. The stock got dingled in the news, but it proved to be a great, albeit short-lived, buying opportunity. Turns out the Russians love their Jack Daniels. Give me a break. Now, the EU is a much larger part of their business. However, at the end of the day, Brown Foreman is a play on the rise of the global middle class. As people in developing countries love to drink name-brand Western liquor once they start making good money. I think it's a mistake to dump the stock over a one-time retaliatory blip from the EU when the real growth story is in the emerging markets. Of course, the traders who dumped Brown Foreman didn't expect to hear anything negative short-term, let alone comments about competition for Jack Daniels or tariff retaliation from Europe. But the long-term prospects have never been brighter, and that's why I think the stock is such a bargain here at 53. In fact, I can only hope the stock goes down even more. Even if the EU really slaps a big import duty, say, on Jack Daniels, I bet it'll be a brief blip. And a few years down the road, you'll wonder how you ever got the stock of this iconic brand so cheaply. Stick with Kramer. All right, we got through the tariff tantrum and we came out pretty well because there's flexibility and that's what people want to see. But now we have to deal with the labor number. And I've got to tell you, if we go back to this almost 3%, it's going to be bad again. Like I said, it's always more work summer. Promise, fine. Just for you right here, man, money. I'm Jim Cramer and I will see you tomorrow. I want people to feel like they just learned something. We have journalists in the far corners of the universe. I can't wait to get all of those resources under one hour-long newscast where we can deliver the facts of the day, clearly and concisely, in context and with perspective, and tell people what's happening, what it all means. Get the truth, not the spin. The News with Shepard Smith. Subscribe to the podcast today.